You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. People who are apart from God, who haven't had given to them the Holy Spirit, they mind earthly things. They don't have any aptitude towards spiritual things. The Bible tells us that the natural man cannot discern the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 19, Paul tells us there in, in his epistle that the natural man or, or the person who is an unbeliever, he's all about carnal fleshly things. What does it mean to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? Do you find that your mind is consumed with the things of the world, or are you more concerned with the kingdom of God? If it's the latter, you're more than likely a recipient of God's Spirit. In today's message, Pastor Mike reflects on the contrast between those who dwell on earthly things and those who've received the Spirit. In his study, you'll learn about the many roles that God's Spirit plays in our lives as believers and followers of Christ. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 John chapter 4 as he begins his message, The Gift of the Holy Spirit. In this verse, John continues the theme which occupies most of this section of the Bible. The subject that we've been treating for the last couple of weeks, and we've we've been considering it from a bunch of different perspectives and angles, is the importance of loving one another. This is so very important to our Christian experience. It's extremely important to God, so if it's important to God, it should also be important to us. The importance of loving one another. Another. And over the last couple of weeks, I've given you some of the reasons why it is important to God. And that is, uh, for, well, first of all, John, as he provides the various reasons for us in our previous studies, we've gone through this, he makes note of the fact of, and, and says, for stressing this, is that it is only as we love one another that we truly come to know God. And think about that, because simply John tells us in another verse of Scripture that God is love. So how in the world could we know God if we're not experiencing his love, not only his love towards us, but in the way that we demonstrate our love towards other people when we are told that God is love? So how in the world could we legitimately claim that we know God if there's no love within our lives? So that was one of the lines of reasoning that John uses to uh, impress this, uh, the importance of this upon us. But then also, 
It is the only way to know that God is dwelling in us and we in him. We, we looked at that in, from the perspective of loving a person who makes it extremely difficult for us to love them. Uh, you know, there are just some people that are like that. I mean, there are some people that it's really easy to love, but then there are other people that are just extremely difficult because of their, their background, their, their personalities, their quirks. And, you know, those are the kinds of people that we, rather than love, we want to run away from and that we want to alienate ourselves from. And we don't want to have anything to do with them. But you see, because of the fact that God is in us and he's perfecting his love, he's using our hearts to love other people, it validates what John is telling us here. This is one of the ways that we know that God is in us. Otherwise, I wouldn't be loving that individual, right? And I I think about the wonderful family that God has given us and the diversity of this family here and a couple of hundred people, right, on Sunday mornings and and, uh, from all walks of life, from all kinds of different backgrounds, many of which I have nothing in common with other than the person of Jesus Christ. I mean, he's the common denominator. But I find myself extremely interested in the things that are going on in their lives. And when there are irritations or problems or difficulties, I want to be there for them, even as I want them to be there for me and my struggles and my difficulties as well. So I couldn't possibly love that person unless God is in me otherwise. And this is just one of the ways that I know that God is in us. You see, this is the very nature of true Christianity. I mean, when we talk about Christianity and it being true, there's so many false conceptions. True Christianity is more than just giving up two or three obvious, particularly gross sins. It's more than attending a place of worship or living a moral life or being good and decent, holding high ideals, believing certain things about God and Christ. And yes, it is true that it includes those things, but that doesn't make us a Christian in and of themselves. Notice in verse 13, go back to verse 13 here in chapter 4. Notice John tells us, hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us. You see, that is the true nature of the Christian life. What am I talking about? Well, we have become aware of a living, thriving relationship with God. Do you know that? Has that been your experience? There's something vital about our whole position. And we are aware of the fact That in some astounding manner, and for the life of me, I can't even explain it, we are sharing the very life of God himself. I hope that's your present experience. I can't explain it, but I know it's to be true. You know, Peter put it this way in his epistle in 2 Peter in chapter 1 and verse 4. He says, we are made partakers of the divine nature. Now, does that make more sense to you now? You've probably read that verse of scripture many times before. But that's what John is referring to here, about this new life that we have in Jesus Christ, this thriving, living relationship with God. Jesus said, abide in me and I in you, John 15. That's the Christian life. Now notice this wonderful declaration of assurance again. Let's go back to verse 13. John says, hereby know we, we know it. 
We're certain of it. We are participating in the life of God, and God is in our life. We know it with a surety. So how do we know that we are in him and he in us? And then John approaches this question from a completely different perspective and, if you will, offers us a test to validate this truth. Notice what he says here in our text. He says, and this is the proof, he has given us of his spirit. Listen, gang, it comes down to this in the final analysis. So how do I know I have received God's spirit? Now that raises another question. Well, let me suggest a couple of answers to that question for you. And listen, let me tell you something. There's lots of evidence to that end. In fact, I'm going to suggest eight different ways that we know that God has given to us his spirit. The first of which is, are you concerned about spiritual, eternal things? And do you have a desire to have them? Are you applying yourself to those things? Are the things we have been talking about now for the last couple of weeks a great concern to you? Not only the last couple of weeks, but in all of our studies, in our series in the book of Genesis on Sunday morning, in our men's fellowships, our women's fellowships, our seminars, our marriage enrichment seminars, all of the things that we host here at Harvest Christian Fellowship. Are those things of a great concern to you? And are you applying yourself to that ins those instructions? and those exhortations that come from the word of God. And it's not like you're just going through some phase in your life's experience, some phase that you're going through, or some passing fancy. Here's the question. Are you concerned about the life of your soul, the knowledge of God? Are you concerned about that, that you want to know God even in a better way? Is that a deep desire within your heart, within your life? Are you concerned about the life of your soul, the knowledge of God, things that are eternal? Well, if you are, I assure you then, the Holy Spirit is in you. Because think about it. People who are apart from God, who haven't had given to them the Holy Spirit, they mind earthly things. They don't have any aptitude towards spiritual things. The Bible tells us that the natural man cannot discern the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 19, Paul tells us there in, in his epistle that the natural man or, or the person who is an unbeliever, he's all about carnal, fleshly things. That person, apart from Christ, who hasn't been born again, is fascinated with all the pomp and show of life and high society. Let me ask you this question. Is that the limit of your interest? And I'm sure that it's not. But if you're minding things that are immortal, eternal, well, simply, this is the proof that the Spirit of God is in you. You've been awakened to spiritual things, to eternal things. That's a part of your being born again of the Spirit of God. You've kicked into another dimension. You know, apart from Christ and apart from the Spirit of God, I mean, man is a dichotomy, just simply body and soul. And he's living on those two, two levels. But when we're born again, there's a whole other dimension that kicks in. No longer are we just body and soul, body being our, you know, our flesh, our, our body needs, you know, concerned about our body needs. 
And our soul would be that part of the intellect of man, which is a part of man. And, uh, but then there's that spiritual aspect of man as well, you see. And it's sort of like we've kicked into third gear when we're born again of the Spirit of God. You know, think, go back to your B.C. days before Christ. I mean, were you even interested in spiritual things? I don't think you were. I, I certainly, well, I, I shouldn't speak for any of you, but I certainly wasn't, you see? But now I've been awakened to the things of the Spirit of God, to eternal things. So if I'm minding things that are immortal, eternal, spiritual, simply this is proof of the Spirit of God in me and in you. So that's the first test. Secondly, here's another test. Let me ask you a question. Are you aware of sin in your life? You say, what do I mean by that? Well, when you do something you know you shouldn't do, are you annoyed with yourself because of it? And I got to tell you something, man. This, this really bugs me. Because I, more than anyone else here in this congregation, knows better. I mean, you know, I mean, I've been teaching the word of God now for a long time. And when I blow it, when I let my guard down, don't use the resources that God has made available to me. I get angry with someone. I say something out of turn, unkind, whatever. I sin. We all sin. I'm really annoyed with myself. But, you know, that's a good thing. I'm being convicted by the Holy Spirit. This is a good thing, not a bad thing. I'm aware that something is wrong with my heart. You see, the person who loves himself is in a very dangerous position. That's a picture in contrast. Paul, in contrast uh, to this, that is the person who loves himself, is in a very dangerous position. In Romans chapter 7 and verses 18 and 24, and I hope that every one of us feels the same way as did Paul, and I would remind you who we're talking about here. Paul, by the way, is an apostle, leaves all of us in the dust. Does any of us really measure up to Paul the apostle? Come on. But in Romans chapter 7, in verse 18, he says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me. I want to obey the God. I want to do what's right. I know what's right. But how to perform what is good, I do not find. You know, he had those lapses of, of, of faith and observance as well. And then also he goes on to declare in verse 24 out of frustration. He says, oh, wretched man, that I, if he claims to be a wretched man, what does that make me? He says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? But then, thank God, he goes on to declare through Jesus Christ, his Lord and Savior. But thank God for that. But is that the way we feel? There's that sense of, of we, re we recognize the fact that, we are, that we've sinned. Have you ever felt that way about yourself? Those verses of scripture that we've just considered? Well, if you have, take it from me, the Holy Spirit is in you. No one thinks that about themselves until the Spirit has come into them. Did you feel guilty? Were you disturbed by the fact that you had sinned before you gave your life to Christ, before he gave to you the Holy Spirit? Does your wrong actions grieve you? Does it get you down? Well, if they do, simply this is proof of the fact that the Spirit of God is in you. Okay, let me give you a third proof or another evidence. For the person who has been given the Holy Spirit, 
there is this belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. Go back to 1 John in chapter 4. Notice in verses 14 and 15. He says, And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. And whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And isn't that the question that we're trying to answer this evening? Notice again. God abides in him and he in God. So here's just simply another evidence. There is this belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in contrast, Paul said, for example, in 1 Corinthians in chapter 2, in verse 8, when he's addressing the subject of spiritual wisdom, he says there, the princes of this world did not recognize Jesus when he came. In fact, they crucified him, right? Now, why was that? Simply because they didn't have the Spirit of God within them. But we do believe. And why do we believe? Because we have received the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians in chapter 2, in verse 10, we are told the Spirit searcheth all things, yes, the deep things of God. So, if you truly believe upon Jesus, folks, here's the conclusion that you can come to. You know, without a question, you believe in Christ. There's no other alternatives. He's an absolute. And if you believe that, folks, guess what? You know that you have the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you a fourth evidence. Are you aware within yourself of a struggle and a conflict going on inside you between the flesh and the spirit? And, and this is a constant thing, right? Trying to enthrone themselves, to sit upon the throne of your life. There's this battle waging within Christians. Paul puts it this way in the book of Galatians in chapter 5 and verse 17. He says, the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. Okay, there's this conflict going on within us. You know, there are just times when my, my body is screaming for fulfillment and satisfaction, but it's looking to the wrong things. And I got to put that down. That's the old man. The old man has to be put to death. We have to identify that with Christ and him being crucified. In other words, are you aware of two opposing natures within you? And, you know, I hate to use this word, but it's sort of like we're schizophrenic at times. It's amazing. One day we're worshiping the Lord. We're living right in the center of God's will for your life. And another, another, another day we're, you know, we're running headlong towards sin and temptation that provides an opportunity for us. And we got to put that down. So are we aware of these two opposing natures within us? You see, there is a new kind of person in you who wants these heavenly spiritual things that I've just mentioned. But then there is another who wants to get you down, to bring you down. And thus there exists this struggle within us. Oh, man. What a release it's going to be in that day when we stand before Jesus and we become like him. The Bible tells us that when we see him, we shall be as he is. Folks, not before, though, unfortunately. Don't you wish? Don't you wish that there wasn't this conflict? Don't you wish that you were never enticed towards temptation and sin? But unfortunately, it's not going to happen in this life. It's only when we're going to experience that is when Jesus comes back because the Bible tells us that when we see him, we shall be as he is. Don't you wish that, you know, you give your life to Christ, you make your confession, 
you're born again, and that was the end of it. And you never struggled with sin or temptation ever again, right? You never thought an impure thought. You never said an unkind word, right? You were just become some super Christian, like immediately. But unfortunately, it doesn't work like that. So if you are in a state of conflict with these opposing forces, you can be sure the Spirit is in you. Because without the Spirit, there wouldn't be any such conflict at all. It would be all about the old man. It would be all about feeding the old man and the desires and the lusts of your flesh. You wouldn't be concerned about this war, you know, putting the old man down crucifying the flesh. You wouldn't even be concerned about those things, but you are concerned. And the very fact that you are concerned validates the truth that you've been given the Holy Spirit, right? Okay, here's some more evidence that the Spirit is in you in the form of a question. And this is our fifth uh, point. Are you aware of God working in you? Let me give you a cross-reference for this. In the book of Philippians, in chapter 2, and verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. First of all, let me comment on this. You wouldn't even have a desire to do the will of God or to please God unless God put that in you. What does it say there? It's not something that you drum up, right? It's something that God has done in you. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure pleasure. That is, we're being moved by God to do what is right. It's the power of God surging, rising within us, swelling up within us. And folks, aren't you amazed and astonished at yourself at times? You know, I got to tell you something. There's been different intervals, especially early on in my Christian experience, where all of a sudden I became aware of the fact I don't even have an appetite anymore for that particular sin. It was such a part of my old life. I brought that along with me. I always refer to it as excess baggage, you know, after my conversion experience. We're not freed from all of that excess baggage that we bring into this newfound relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. It's a part of a process. God is weeding those things out of our lives. And then all of a sudden, one day you wake up and you realize, I've gotten a victory over that. And I'm amazed. And you, want, you even wonder, how in the world did that happen? But you don't even have a desire for those things anymore. They've just simply left you all together. How do you explain that without putting God behind that experience? It is God who works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. That wonder-working power that's active in us, that's moving us, leading us, persuading us, disturbing us at times but drawing us closer, ever so closer, to God. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh my heart. The book of 1 John teaches the importance of growing in your faith. When you accept Jesus' free gift of salvation, it doesn't end there. Jesus transforms you, beginning on that very first day, and He continues to do so as you allow Him access to your life. Each new truth you hear from God's Word has the potential to change you, but you have to decide to let it. 
It's our desire at In My Father's House to present Jesus to you through each program, and we pray He's already making an impact in your life. If you'd like to explore more messages from Pastor Mike, visit harvestnyc.org. You'll find them under the Resources tab. Come visit us, too. You can join us for worship this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship. To find out more and reserve your seat, visit harvestnyc.org or join us online to worship through the live stream. Each Thursday, we're also meeting virtually to step back into the Word and worship the Lord. We'd be honored if you'd join us. 7.30 online at harvestnyc.org. While you're there, be sure to sign up for our email list for daily devotionals and the latest event information at Harvest Christian Fellowship. We'd also ask that you prayerfully consider supporting the ministry of In My Father's House through donation. We appreciate every gift given, and we'll use it to reach more people with the Word of God. Find out more and donate securely online by clicking the Donate tab at harvestnyc.org. That's all for today. We hope you'll join us again right here on In My Father's House. My heart not be troubled. I remember.